Well, as we turn our attention to the word of the Lord, let's bow together and pray one more time. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your kindness. And Lord, we come before you this morning asking once again that you would speak to us, that Holy Spirit, you would move through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word, that God, that you would show us and grow us. Lord, help us as we seek to understand. Lord, if there are those this morning that do not know you, may your word pierce their hearts, that they might surrender their life to you this morning. God, for those of us who've been following you, would you please encourage us? Lord, would you comfort us? Father, would you also challenge us and convict us? God, we're asking that you would speak in in spite of a foolish servant, that your words would flow forth and the mind might be stopped. We ask that you would move now. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to a very familiar passage similar to where we were last week. We will be in Ephesians chapter 5 once again. Ephesians chapter 5. Instead of picking up in verse 15 like we did last week, we're actually going to backtrack a little before that and jump back to verse 8 of chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 will be beginning in verse 8. And we will be reading through verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 through verse 21. As you are finding your place in sacred scripture, I encourage you to open and follow along in your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew that's right there in front of you. Uh, If you don't own your own copy of God's Word, please take that with you as just our gift to you. We will replenish it. We'd love for you to take that and keep it. If you prefer to follow along on your phone or your tablet, or if you just want to follow along on the screens, those are all perfectly fine. However you might be accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask, though, would you please stand, if you're physically able, out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word. I'll read for us. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. I'll read through verse 21. When I've completed, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for the word of the Lord, I encourage you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Let's begin now with our look at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of the darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I find it remarkable how the Lord arranges for things and aligns things in divine appointments. I personally don't believe in coincidences. I believe that we serve a God who created the entire universe, who put all the planets and stars into orbit, knows every one of them by name. And when something that seems incredible and coincidental happens, I find it better to acknowledge that that is a divine appointment from the Lord. Nothing happens without the Lord orchestrating it or allowing it to take place. And I found it extremely interesting how we spent Father's Day looking at Ephesians chapter 5 through chapter 6 verse 4 and we picked up right there in verse 15 and all week long at camp their theme was light and darkness. So our students that we took with us to camp, they studied all week long about the various places throughout all of scripture where it discusses the light versus the darkness. The light has entered into and overcome the darkness. The darkness has rejected the light, but the darkness has not overcome the light. And so one of the days that one of the passages that we referred back to every day, it seemed like was walk as those who are children of light. Verse 8 of chapter 5. The Lord brought us right back to this same passage. And so this, this morning I want for us to discuss what our walk looks like. And again, I want to preface all that we're going to say, like I did last week with, what we're talking about is not necessarily someone's salvation. There is one way to be saved. It is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And we are told in the book of Romans that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That if you trust in the Lord Jesus, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, then you will be saved. That is the heart of salvation. That you can submit to the Lord, give your life over to Him, and be saved just like that. But what happens after that is we begin to walk differently. It is a natural byproduct of being saved. Our walk is different. Now, I'm not talking about if you used to have like a really bad limp, you know, and you kind of drug your leg. We're not talking about this kind of walking. It's not like a physical walk where now that you're saved, you're like high stepping it. Like, what's up? I got Jesus. We're not talking about your physical walk, how you walk. I, there was a, there was an old skit by Monty Python, the ministry of silly walks. Anybody? I didn't think so. We're not going to use that analogy because I really anticipated that exact response. A lot of times y'all don't know my songs, so I figured you definitely don't know my skits and things. So we just move on. Your physical walk is not what we're referring to. We are children of light, so our lifestyle will change if truly we have been saved. And so there's a lot to say in verse 8 and verse 15. 
in verse 16 about the way that we are walking. And we don't walk in darkness anymore, but now we are light in the Lord. We are light. And so we walk as children of light. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We ourselves are not the light. It is the Lord who is in us, who is shining through us. But I think what happens is as we walk, we get more and more dim. We have a tendency to allow the world to creep back in to our lives as we are seeking to follow the Lord. And for some reason, it's like our life is on a dimmer switch and it's not just on or off, but we like to go over there and we just like to dim the lights ever so slightly and dim the lights maybe a little bit further ever so softly as we walk. But what that dimming represents in our lives is that we have wandered from the Lord, that the presence of the Lord is not as strong within us as it once was. We are not shining the way that we used to. And it's not that the Lord himself has changed. It's that we have run back to the darkness. And so this morning, I want us to look at what draws us back into the darkness. How can we know when we're walking more in the dark than we are in the light? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So, in your life, for just a a brief moment, evaluate. Look at your schedule. There's 168 hours in every single week. 168 hours. Think for yourself right now how many of those hours are devoted to what is good, to what is right, to what is true. How many of your 168 hours are devoted to what is good, What is right? What is true? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that all the other hours, I mean, eight hours a night. I hope you're sleeping eight hours a night. I know what it feels like to go a week without sleeping eight hours a night. And it is detrimental to your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. So please get eight hours of sleep per night. So we we have eight hours a night that we're sleeping. And honestly, sleep in those moments, because it is so good for our health, is good. It is right. And it is true. Go a little while without some sleep and you notice that as you've cut sleep from your life, you're actually cutting out something that is good, that God has designed to be right, and that is true that you suffer when you don't sleep. So in the middle of the night, I know the old adage is nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing good happens after 2 a.m., right? That's, anybody heard that old, old, old adage? It's a, it's a wise, wise thing to say. Me and Tim are on the same page. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate that, brother. Nothing good happens after midnight. There's a point at which you say what is good and right and true for me right now is to sleep. So don't over-spiritualize what we're talking about here. You can walk in the light by taking care of yourself and sleeping at night. Did you recognize that? Do what is good, what is right, what is true. Then scroll down with me. Flip over with me. Walk down the pages some. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Walk wisely. Do not. Walk unwisely. Is it wise to deprive yourself of sleep? Yes. 
is, no, it is not wise. See there, it's one of those times. It is unwise to deprive yourself from sleep. But carry that over into the rest of your life. Is it wise to play sports when you are small or young or a teenager? Yeah, it it actually, there's a lot of wisdom that you gain in sports. There's a lot of good that we learn. There's a lot of character and integrity that is built around sporting events. It is good for us to compete and to grow in our tenacity. But is it wise for that to become our whole life? Is it wise for us to spend 10 or 12 hours sleeping? No. Now you've moved into that realm of Proverbs. Awaken, you sluggard. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. There is a balance in our lives of walking wisely, of doing what is right, what is good, what is true. And I think that a lot of us fall victim to wasting genuinely a lot of those 168 hours every week. And I want you to think about how much of those 168 hours do we spend in fellowship with one another as a church? Now, I know that I run long a lot of Sunday mornings, okay? So let's give, let's give Sunday morning worship service an hour and a half, okay? So there's, there's an hour and a half of your 168. Let's say that you come on Wednesday night and you got here early and you chit-chatted a little late. There's another hour and a half right there. So now you've spent three of your 168 hours as a part of this assembly, as a part of this fellowship, gathering together with God's children, with God's people to grow in his word or just to fellowship or just to break bread together, just to share what's going on, to encourage one another and grow in our faith. There's three hours. So you got 165 hours left. But let's say you're very committed. You come every Sunday, you come and early and late, you come on Wednesday nights for an hour. Then you have a small group that you meet in. So you come to your small group for about an hour. So now five of your 168 hours have been spent with the people of the Lord. What are we doing with the rest of our time? I'm talking about the people that are here every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, the hyper committed people. It's seeming like five, maybe six hours out of our week can be devoted to the church, can be devoted to not this building, but us as a people, as a gathering. And I just wonder, do you consider that wise or unwise? Do we consider that amount of our week, that percentage of our time spent together as wise or unwise? Is that the best use of our time? Verse 16, making the best use of our time. I didn't want to do this specific analogy again because it was a different sermon from a different time. But there was one time about three years ago that during the sermon, I brought a vacuum up here on the stage. If you've been here that long, maybe you remember. And I vacuumed the stage. I took a break from my sermon and I vacuumed the stage. Was it good to vacuum the stage? Is it good to clean the house of the Lord? Is it right to clean the house of the Lord? Yes and yes. Is it true that the best use of my time during this 30, 45 minute stretch is to vacuum the stage or to preach God's word? The best use of my time is to preach God's word. 
And what happens is we allow the darkness of the world to creep in so subtly and we take these very good things in our lives and make them what is best. And they are not best. I love and adore my family and my extended family. But if I am visiting them every other week to the detriment of being plugged in to an assembly of faith, then that is not best. If I am missing church more than I am attending church because I have filled my schedule with other good things, that's not best. God tells us in Hebrews not to forsake the gathering of the assembly. And I think what happens is we miss because we begin to walk unwisely. We miss how often we are missing church. And some of us don't realize that even though we're on the nursery rotation and even though we are dedicated to Bethany Baptist Church, not this building, but us as a people, we show up for our week in the nursery and then we show up one more time before it's our turn to do the nursery again. And if we look back, we go, "Ah, but I mean, I had this and it was a very valid excuse. There was a birthday party that I I needed to get to and I had to go out of town to get to that birthday party. I'm not up here telling you miss that birthday party. That's, That's not what I'm saying. If you're hearing me say, ignore your family and come to church, you're missing it. That's not what I'm saying. But see, there's one Sunday and then there's a ball tournament the next Sunday. So you you missed the next Sunday. Well, and then there was a concert and it was a Christian concert. I went to the, I went to a Christian concert on that Saturday night. It was, it was wonderful. Sandy Patty was playing. All right. Russia Fools was playing. All right. I mean, we, Lauren Daigle for crying out loud. I had to drive to Mobile. We got back late. I just, ah, oh, it's just such a hard thing. Okay. Well, there's four weeks. Hey, next week's our nursery rotation. Oh, we're back in church. Fifth week. And then our nursery rotation went by and, hey, we, we're going to this. You know what? We did miss a lot of church. We're going to get back. So then you miss weeks. Then you're back week six. Then for the next three or four weeks, something happens. Something comes up and, and it's good and it's it's right, but it's not best. And folks, I'm, I'm just wondering, at what point do we stop letting the church, this gathering of believers, this group of light When do we stop letting that be the first thing cut out? When do we stop putting church at the bottom of the priority list? Hey, can you come and help me with such and such? What, um, man, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to teach this coming Sunday, but you know, I really, I want to be there. I'll find somebody to sub. Hey, can, can you be there this Wednesday? Well, you know, I was supposed to lead Wednesday night, but you know, we'll find, there's only a few people that come. I'll find somebody to sub. And again, those are normal things. They happen. But when they happen to all of us, and they happen more times than they don't, then we've allowed the darkness to overcome the light. One of the facts that they taught us this week was that you could see one candle. If all all conditions were perfect, you could see one candle from 30 miles away. If you were in complete darkness in a vacuum, flatland, you could see one candle's light from 30 miles away. That is absolutely amazing. But the distance grows with every candle that you add. And sometimes we're wandering through this world as one lonely little candle. 
Have you ever had one of those birthday cakes in front of you? And maybe you are so blessed as to, you know, have so many candles on that birthday cake that you can't blow hard enough to blow all of them out in, in one big blow, right? Maybe the Lord's blessed you with a lot of years and your family thought it'd be funny. So they put 60 something candles all on your cake and you're going. <gasps> it's hard to get all those candles to go out, right? But, you know, sometimes they're nice to us and they put like two candles, like six, five and the candles in the shape. And, and it's real easy to blow out those two candles. Folks, the light is in us. And when we gather together, the light gets brighter. It's the best use of our time. But what has happened through COVID is that we have fallen out of the habit of coming together. And just to be completely frank with all of us, it was happening before COVID. COVID just exacerbated an issue that was already there. That we think, well, I'll go to church next week. Or I'll go to church somewhere else. But I want you to know it matters when you are here. It matters. Your candle, your light makes a difference in this place. There is darkness that wants to creep in and cloud out what God is trying to do here. And the light will not be overcome by the darkness. But that is not as possible if you're not here shining your light. When you show up and you participate, your light shines. And you might think, well... It's not wrong. It's not sinful. I'm not the church police. I'm not going to call you up and say, Miss Wanda, where you been? You ain't been at church. You best get back in church, Wanda. I'm, I'm telling you, Lord's going to be angry at you. That's not this sermon. This is between you and the Lord. But what I'm telling us together is what Scripture says is that it is unwise. And the further we get from the light of our brothers and sisters, the more we end up in darkness. So don't walk as unwise, walk as wise. Use the time, the best use of the time. Make the best use of the time. I'm not standing up here telling you you're sinners. Look with me at 1 Corinthians. This this tags into this same idea. What is wise and what is unwise? What is lawful and what is unlawful? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through 33. All things are lawful. Wow. Sock you in the mouth right there. All things are lawful. What a statement. What's the very next phrase, though? But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. An edifice is a building. It means to be built up, to edify the church. We are to come together to build one another up. Making the best use of our time. Shining our light. If you're coming to this place to gather with this people begrudgingly. If you're coming to cast a cloud of negativity over everyone else. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's helpful. I don't know that that's building up. We come together expectant of the Lord to move, coming to shine our light. And maybe we're at the end of our rope and we're coming saying, man, I got to be recharged. I got to have something. And we're leaning on the rest of our brothers and sisters. But we don't come fired up, ready to have theological debates. We don't come ready to goad one another into, well, is it premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial? Where do you stand right now? I got to know. Or we can't go to church together no more. You Calvinist, you an Armenian, what are we going to do? 
We don't come here with a chip on our shoulder, ready to fight and fuss with one another. That doesn't build up. Could you show up and do that? Yeah. Could you try and lick the blade of a lawnmower as it's spinning? Yeah. Is it helpful? No. Is it wise? Not even close. Everybody's going to look at you when you're walking around going, oh, no, my tongue. It's gone. I don't know what happened. What'd you do? I licked the lawnmower. You moron, what'd you do that for? But it's lawful. You can do it. It's not a sin. But is it helpful? Not a chance. Is it wise? In your dreams. And I know that that's an exaggerated example, but I want us to realize this morning, that's what we're doing. You can get on Facebook and try and debate anything you want to debate. Politics, doctrine, uh, modesty, immodesty. You can get on Facebook and debate. Does it do any good for anybody? Not a chance. It's about as smart as licking a lawnmower. All it does is show everybody else that sees us on Facebook or Snapchat or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. It shows them that we are against one another. That the light is fighting with the light instead of the light together expelling the darkness. Are we coming together to build one another up? Or are we coming together to tear one another down? Is it sinful to miss church? Ah, it's debatable. Is it helpful? Not a chance. Is it wise? In your dreams. Let's continue. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but theirs. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience. If I partake with faithfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Verse 32, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Folks, this is huge. Should I go to church or should I not go to church? Should I argue about this? Should I not argue about this? Should I browbeat my brother or sister in Christ or should I not? Should I shine the light or should I allow the darkness to creep into my soul? Paul says, their, their debate going on is that some people were stumbling in their faith because others were eating meat that had been sacrificed to false idols. Statues that just stood there. They would burn the meat at their food. So there's some Christians that go, that's just a piece of rock that's been sculpted. There is no God that that represents. There's no harm in eating that food because there is no God that that food has been offered to. And I'm starving so I'm going to eat so that I don't die. 
What does Paul say? If you go to their house, you see what's set before you. But if they say it's been sacrificed to an idol, go hungry on the behalf of your brother or sister. Be rude to your host for the sake of the church. Make a sacrifice for the sake of the body. Is it lawful for you to eat it? Probably. Those those idols aren't real. They're not sacrificing it to any other god. Because there are no other gods. Could you eat it? Yeah. But don't think about yourself and whether you could or not. Are you walking wisely? Are you walking in the light? Are you considering others before yourself? Paul says, I try to please everyone in everything that I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Why? So that he could be well thought of? Is Paul just some narcissistic people pleaser? Is Paul somebody that just is intent on everybody loving him? Not a chance. Read some of his letters. The purpose behind trying to please those is that they may be saved. When we're fussing and fighting and darkness is in the church and it's not a lighthouse shining out into the world, nobody's going to want to be saved. Why on earth would I go join them? All right, preacher. You said a lot of stuff. It's a lot of complicated stuff. So how do we walk wisely? How do we walk in the light? Let's just look at how they did it in Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Passage many of us are very familiar with. You've been coming here for any length of time. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. You don't know how to walk wisely? You don't know how to make the best use of the time? What does Scripture tell us that they did in the early church to walk wisely, to make the best use of their time? They devoted themselves to three things. To the apostles' teaching, to gathering together in fellowship, breaking bread with one another, and praying. They made the best use of their time. Why does Paul say make the best use of your time in Ephesians? What does he follow it up with? The days are evil. They were already evil in Paul's time. I doubt they've gotten any better now. Let us make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Are you walking wisely? Are you making the best use of your time? Are you devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with other believers? With the assembly, are you devoting yourself to prayer? That's how to make the best use of the time. Or are you devoting yourself to sports? Are you devoting yourself to your family? Are you devoting yourself to anything and everything else that comes up, comes along? Where, where's the assembly in your priority list? If you have a little light, how are you letting that shine? There's 168 hours in a week. How many of those hours are you giving to your brothers and sisters in Christ, to this body of believers, to this fellowship? How are you letting your light shine 
and joining with the other lights to shine even brighter. Are you walking wisely? Are we as a church devoting ourselves to the things they did in Acts? Are we making the best use of the time? Or are we spending all of our time bickering and arguing and backbiting and fighting? Why nobody wants to come? Because every time we come here, all they do is fuss and fight. What's our light look like? What's our walk look like? What's our reputation as a church? Going forward from today, how how are we going to spend our time? How are you going to spend your time? 168 hours every week. What are we going to do with them? Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us, dear Father, to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. Help us to walk wisely, making the best use of the time because truly, Lord, the days are evil. Help us to set our priorities To make changes that are necessary. To make sacrifices for one another. To look to others and not to our own advantage. And Father, I know personally I've been guilty of that plenty. I want my advantage. Please, Father, help us to be a church that shines your light by gathering together to study the words you gave to the apostles. To fellowship with one another and break bread together. To pray and seek your face. That we might shine your light among men. That others may come to know you. Lord, help us to repent. God, help me to repent when I've over-busied myself. And I've filled my schedule with a lot of good things, but I haven't filled my schedule with a lot of God things. Lord, help us to reorient ourselves to You and to Your goodness and to Your light. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.